Investment Insights by Aberdeen Standard Investments. Welcome to the Aberdeen Standard Investments Fixed Income Team Talk. I'm your host, Amy Modgill. I'm a fixed income specialist here at ASI. And on today's podcast, we'll be discussing the recent sell-off in government bonds and whether this is an opportunity or a concern for investors. I'm delighted to say that I'm joined today by Patrick O'Donnell, Investment Director in our Nominal Rates Team and a Portfolio Manager on our Global and European Government Bond Funds. Hi, Paddy. Hi there. Uh, also, we have on the uh, team talk today is Roger Webb, Deputy Head of Sterling Investment Grade and Aggregate. And Roger is also a PM on our Strategic Bond Funds, as well as a number of our Sterling Investment Grade Funds. Hi, Roger. Hi, Emmett. How are you well? And finally, we have a special guest today, and I'm delighted to introduce Adam McCabe, Head of Fixed Income, Asia-Pacific. And Adam is a lead manager on a number of portfolios, including our China Onshore Bond, our Asian Bond Fund, and our Asia-Pacific Income Funds. Hi, Adam. Hi, Emmett. Welcome all. Excellent. So that's the introductions. And before we kick off, as normal, we like to ask our speakers a quick question, just so our audience gets to know them a little bit better. And so today's question is very much based on a recent uh, thing that popped up in the news, which was that a number of independent coffee shops have benefited from lockdown as people have got out of the house and decided to get themselves takeaway coffees. So my question to everybody is, what's your favourite go-to drink from a coffee shop or a cafe? And I'll kick off. For me, it's not that exciting. It's pretty boring, uh, but there's a practical reason behind that. And I like to go for a flat white. And the reason that is I'm pretty slow at drinking. So essentially, by the time I get to the end of that coffee, uh, the flat white, it's still warm and it doesn't get cold. So that's the reason I, I go for a flat white. Uh, Paddy, what about you? Uh, yeah, I uh, I live in the country, so um, I'm afraid I don't really have any local coffee shops that I can just pop out and walk to. But if um, if you force me to choose one, I'm afraid I'd be I'd have a boring one as well. And mine would be uh, just a latte, um, but it would have to be a skinny one because um, with my physical activity being uh, much reduced over the last year and my food intake being a lot worse, um, it would definitely have to be a skinny variety. I think. Brilliant! That's absolutely brilliant. And Rog, what about you? What what do you take? Yeah, I'm uh, a bit of a pest in a coffee shop, as probably in other parts of my life as well. I uh, I like a fairly strong coffee, so I always ask for a double macchiato, but I also like a bit of extra milk. So a macchiato comes with just foam. I say, could I have some extra milk, please? And then have to go through the whole process of describing how much milk in centimetres or inches of milk I actually want in my cup. So as I say, a bit of a pain to the barista. Oh, brilliant. That is it. The, the, the awkward customer popping in. And uh, Adam, what about you? Well, as an Australian uh, living in Singapore, I, I had to give up my uh, coffee habits uh, when I moved from Australia to, to Asia. Australia's got a pretty strong barista scene down there, and uh, it's a bit different up here in Singapore. Kopi, K-O-P-I, is uh, the traditional form of coffee in Singapore. And would you believe it, the coffee beans are roasted with sugar, butter, and oil. I would go for a Kopi O, which is a black coffee, but you could get a Kopi C which uh, includes condensed milk. Don't think it, any of it's very healthy. <laughs> no, that's brilliant. That's excellent. That sounds good though. Does, it sounds great. That's like, you learn something new every day. I have no idea. No idea about that. That's brilliant. Excellent. Thanks guys. Okay, so that's the, uh, what's your favorite over? 
So the topic for today's podcast was this uh, recent sell-off in government bonds and whether we think this is an opportunity of concern for investors. Uh, as we've heard just recently, actually, the um, the Federal Reserve has um, reiterated its um, you know its forecast for growth and inflation, but at the same time is committing to keeping interest rates low and in, in some cases commentators are suggesting until 2024. And actually, as we speak, that's seen the US 10-year uh, Treasury move above 1.7%. And that's a level we've not seen since uh, January 2020. And if you look at the longer dated bonds in the 30-year part, so the 30-year US Treasury, that's gone above 2.5%, uh, uh, which is a level not seen since 2019. So I guess, uh, given those moves and that trend, I'd like to ask our uh, panel today, what do you see in your own asset class within fixed income uh, this as a, a this trend? Is it a, an opportunity or a concern for you? And what we'll do is we'll kick off with Paddy first, given uh, um, it's probably a good a good point to start. Paddy. Yeah, sure. As you kind of alluded to, it really depends on what asset class you're you're involved in. But um, my own specific one, government bonds. I, if the short answer is, I think it's an opportunity, mainly because beyond this year, we don't think there's going to be you know uh, self-sustaining inflation realised in in developed market economies. The main reason for that is that there's um there's going to be quite a lot of labour market slack and um, and excess capacity in the uh, in economies as a result of the pandemic that we've all been experiencing, and and that's essentially going to keep a lid on inflation and and how far um, yields can can realistically move move higher. Obviously, we've there's been quite a lot of uh, stimulus pumped in, into the system at the moment. You know the Biden 1.9 trillion uh, fiscal plan or support plan is is certainly going to um, help matters, but I think the the market is really looking at the the bumper um, nominal growth um, and in, uh, inflation that's likely to peak in um, in the mid part of this year and is extrapolating forward into 2020, 22, 23 and beyond, which we don't think um, is 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 correct or at least the, the risks are a bit more um a bit more asymmetric um here with valuations if you look at long-term forward yields um in the us you know up north of 2.7 and north of t- approaching three percent in the face of um the previous the previous uh, cycle peak of uh, when the fed was was heightened policy last time around was a 2.5 percent those yields are looking uh, attractive because the likely peak next time around, whenever that, whenever we do see a hiking cycle again, as you alluded to, the Fed is in no hurry to um to begin to normalise policy. Uh, it's likely to be to be lower than that two point two point five percent um that we saw last time around because of the amount of the amount of debt that's been added to the overall to the whole system. In the more short term, the the latest uh, leg of the of the movement nominal yields is, or in global yields has been uh, led by real yields, which has um, seen support for the US dollar uh, increase, uh, which tightens uh, financial conditions um, and, and tends to have a negative knock on effect for for risk assets, at least in the short term, and that that should bring uh, flows back into the um, into safe assets like US Treasuries, and you're seeing. The, the yield curve begin to pivot around around the ten year point. So ten thirties is actually refusing to steepen in this uh, in the sell. So we think there's there's value being created in the long end of the of the yield curve. And Paddy, what, what are you guys doing? So you see this as an opportunity. What are you guys doing in your portfolios? Uh, can you give an example of how you're taking advantage of this particular um, trend? 
Yeah, well, one, I mentioned 10s, 30s, um, uh, flat and one of the, that's something that we've uh, instigated in portfolios um, in uh, semi-recently, and we still like that. I think when, you know, clearly the market is, is under some pressure at the moment, and it has been for the last month or so, and it tends to be, what we've seen in the past is there's, there tends to be an overshoot of, you know, where how far you think the, the market can get to. So I think... It's it's one where we're we're watching for now, but it's still we're getting to levels where we think you should be you should be adding um, outright duration in this sort of in longer term tenors, and the curve should should begin to we think again close to an inflection point in the curve. Thanks, Paddy. And I guess finally, just what are the risks to your view? So clearly, you you talked about spare capacity, the Biden stimulus. A lot of these things will likely keep um, you know um, yields in check. But is there any risk to to your view, uh, like if things do get better quickly? I mean, what what kind of things are you worried about? Well, yeah, I th- I think the, it's a good question. The you know if you look at things like permanent job losses and the amount of people that are um, signing on for weekly unemployment support, all those numbers are are high, and the risk is maybe when economies reopen fully and people are vaccinated um, and everyone actually goes back into jobs, the jobs that they had previously before they were um, you know, put on furlough or uh, made redundant. And then in that environment, with a lot of pent up demands because people have been, you know, the middle classes have been sitting, sitting at home or not doing uh, as much as what they're used to spending the money on, that uh, maybe you do actually see more self-sustaining um, inflation um, and some of the some of the manufacturing price pressures that we've seen maybe they become a bit more um, uh, a bit more self-sustaining and get pushed on to the onto the end consumer on an ongoing basis. But that's that's a risk to the view. Brilliant, that's great. Thanks, Paddy. That's that's really insightful. And Roger, I guess from a corporate bond perspective. Where are where where do you see this trend um, in your space? Is this a, a concern for you guys, or is it an opportunity? Yeah, thanks, Emmett. Um, to be fair, I think um, almost the mirror of what Paddy was just talking about. Um, we see the the threat or the concerns in the near term of, of valuations uh, upsetting the investment grade corporate bond market in particular, um, and then longer term, I think we could see ourselves presented with an opportunity to to get into the asset class and other asset other risk asset classes at more attractive levels. I think if we put that in perspective, investment grade yields at the back end of 2020 were somewhere around 1.4%. And today they're probably 50 basis points higher. So we've already seen a significant revaluation. Uh, the asset class looks more attractive. Um, but then if we see higher and higher yields, then investment grade credit relative to lower risk asset classes, such as government bonds, those asset classes that Paddy's just been talking about, look less attractive. So naturally, investors will be attracted towards those lower risk but now higher yielding asset classes and away from from corporate bonds which have been a safe haven asset class for the last four or five years and one which has provided um, that additional yield and additional returns over government bonds in a, in a fairly low volatility environment. So that's, that's really interesting uh, in terms of short term and longer term implications of, of this uh, moving government bond yields. So what, what are you doing across your portfolios whether it be your 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 sterling portfolios or your, your kind of strategic bond fund, what, what kind of things are you doing to try and tap into this particular, um, let's say, uh, scenario that we find ourselves in? Yeah, I think I think it's worth pointing out that everything that we're talking about today is, is valuations driven. Um, and obviously, the big picture macroeconomic fundamentals are important. But it's also important to remember that, that loose monetary policy and 
stimulus from the fiscal side is positive from the macro environment. So by and large, we're happy to, to move down the credit curve. That is to buy lower quality credit um, in investment grade. That means triple B credit, credit which has naturally some additional spread over government bonds to protect us against those higher yields. But also we're comfortable in buying that asset class because there is quality within that. Uh, we haven't talked about the vaccine rollout and the end of lockdowns either. And obviously in an environment where we're moving out, hopefully from from those lockdowns in, in Western Europe and, and in the US in particular, and we have done already in certain parts of Asia, then some parts of the economy will naturally improve quicker than others. And it's those parts of the economy that have done particularly badly in the last 12 months that are, if you like, operationally geared and therefore struggle really quickly when things turn off. They are similarly, they recover very quickly when when the, when the economy recovers. And, and in that respect, we're looking at areas like hotels and leisure. We're looking at airlines, airports, all of which have suffered dramatically and, and almost fatally in some cases through the pandemic, but will benefit significantly from an upturn. And you, we are paid in those areas for the, for the risks that we're taking. So those are the key areas. It's putting together a vaccine related or a recovery portfolio. Um, Strat bond, for instance, that you mentioned is probably 20% of our portfolio is in what we would call a vaccine theme, that recovery theme, which is retailers, uh, real estate, hotels and leisure, airports and airlines. Um, and that's the sort of extension of that is we're happy to drift down into high yield and, and high yields, higher quality high yield in particular, where spreads are probably 300 or between 250 and 350 over government bonds, we think offer some opportunities. Again, revaluation of government bonds will impact that asset class as well. So perhaps that's further down the road in the next two or three months that we get an opportunity to buy into that asset class at cheaper levels. I like that. I like the sound of that, the vaccine theme. Got a nice ring to it. It's got a very nice ring to it. And so, Roger, what are the risks then to, to that view? I guess they're probably the flip side of what, what Paddy was saying. I guess um, probably uh, a worse recovery than you guys expect. Uh, that would be a risk to your view, I assume. Yeah, possibly. Um, I think a bigger risk in the near term is valuations driven that, that we go through 2% yields in US Treasuries. Backup in yields is is acute and that will have a knock-on effect to risk assets much more severely than it has done so far. We see widening spreads in that environment. If Paddy's thesis is correct and one that we buy into particularly, that we see a backup in yields, but then inflation doesn't follow through that presents us as an opportunity. But if, if inflation does come through for, for reasons that we haven't talked about as yet, then that presents a risk, as does the downside scenario, the, the, the poorer economic backdrop that you've talked about as well. Although that backdrop we've seen for several years now, and negative e economic backdrops aren't necessarily bad for corporate bonds in that, in that the stimulus measures that were put in place have, have generally provided, provided some support to the asset class. So I think I'm more concerned about inflation as a risk to the asset class, obviously not one that we necessarily believe will come through, but one that would have an impact on valuations. And Adam, I guess in, in your world, you have quite a lot of different portfolios and, and I guess geographies as well that you're looking at within within your um, sphere. How are you looking at this trend um, as, a, as an opportunity for you guys as a concern? It's interesting that you say that because you're right, the, the Asia-Pacific fixed income universe is very diverse and, and uh, we have a raft of different opportunities across high yield markets, lower yielding markets, and of course, uh, markets like China that are beginning to open up to, to foreign investors. And, and really what that brings is, is a great deal of diversity in terms of opportunity. 
and and importantly it also gives us the opportunity to 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 see to seek out um you know i guess safe havens in a period of uncertainty uh a period of uncertainty for uh, global bond markets what i particularly call out in terms of an opportunity at the moment is is that in the chinese bond market the the opportunity exists uh largely for a couple of key reasons firstly uh, largely because of different policy priorities the the, the chinese policymakers um, haven't necessarily followed that of the developed market. Yes, they've provided support to their economy when it's been needed, but it's been much more measured than than the extraordinary policy stimulus that you've seen in 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 places around the world, such as in the U.S., both in terms of monetary policy support and fiscal policy support for the economy. And so, when global investors are fearing uh, either that, uh, that 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 overstimulus of the economy, or indeed they they fear the potential for a breakout in, in inflation in the developed world. Um, one of the things that, that won't necessarily play out is either of those concerns uh, being realized in China. In fact, what we see in China now with a 10-year yield around 3, 3.2, and in an inflation rate at minus uh, 0.2%, so significantly positive real yields uh, on a global basis. So no real need to be concerned about you know, an adjustment uh, in valuations. Uh, led by either economic growth surprises or indeed uh, an aggressive policy response uh, led by inflation. So we see value there. The other thing to note is the Chinese capital market is opening. The Chinese bond market is being included in global indices uh, on an in an increasing uh, way. Uh, we've seen uh, the JP Morgan GBIEM, the Emerging Market uh, Bond Index, include China. We've seen the Bloomberg Barclays Aggregate uh, Index include China. And uh, we're beginning to, and we anticipate the FTSE World Government Bond Index to include Chinese bonds in the, in the index. So we're seeing a substantial amount of demand from foreign investors to include China in their portfolios. It's a large economy. It'll, it'll have a significant weight in a lot of these benchmarks. And whether you're a, a passive investor or an active investor, the, the, the weight of China in, in, the, in those benchmarks is just too large to ignore. If you're a passive investor, ignoring China you know, introduces a significant amount of tracking error. If you're an active investor, ignoring China means that you're uh, ignoring a, a relatively valuable uh, or attractive uh, market on a, on, a, on a valuation perspective. So we see a great deal of support for the, the, the Chinese onshore bond market. Uh, we anticipate that, um, again, that some of the policies out of the U.S., particularly uh, with the Fed being very supportive, the fiscal policy stimulus that Patty mentioned, we expect that, uh, that demand for Chinese exports from the U.S. and from the rest of the world as we emerge from the COVID pandemic will be very supportive for the trade, trade in North Asia, trade coming from China, and those, those positive impacts on the external balances will be supportive of the currency as well. So quite a positive story, low correlations, relatively high yields, attractive valuations, see us you know, well invested in that market. That's excellent. That's, that's a really good, a good view of how, you know, different demographics and I guess different geographies as well, sorry, actually can, can provide a very, um, you know, different view of, 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 of how things can play out given, you know, there are certain dynamics going on. So that's really interesting. I guess um, then, Adam, um, what is the risk to that to that particular view with using your your China uh, example? What would be the risk there of a a you know uh, a concern that you have? The Chinese economy is is one that uh, has long undergone adjustment, and 
there's been a lot of focus around uh, the accumulation of debt in the Chinese market, the way the policymakers allow for you know debt to be, I guess, managed through the cycle, particularly some of the excesses that have been undertaken by state-owned enterprises over the years. And so we see we see a case that um, you know, the policymakers, while they want their economy to grow, they want to support economic development, they also want to see a structural improvement in the financial sector, particularly among the, the corporate and the state-owned enterprise uh, balance sheets. And so we expect in China there to be a, a, an ongoing increase in, in defaults in that sector. That doesn't mean to say that it diminishes anything from the positive story. We believe that the, the key opportunity in China is in the rate space, you know, sticking close to the sovereign, be that the Chinese government bonds, be they the policy banks, very close to the policy making priorities of the, of the central government. As you move down the credit spectrum, there will definitely be defaults and that will have an impact on the outcome for investors. But nevertheless, I don't think it's in the interest of the Chinese authorities to, to see financial conditions tighten too aggressively as a result of an adjustment in, in, in credit risk and credit pricing. That's great. Thank you very much, Adam. And so that, that brings us to a conclusion in our, in our podcast today. And I'd like to thank uh, Paddy, Roger and Adam for, for their thoughts today. Really interesting to, to find out that depending on what aspect of uh, fixed income you're, you're looking at or, or you're, you're investing in, there's clearly different opportunities and clearly different uh, risks that you need to be aware of and consider going forward uh, and if there's anything else that we've learned today is that um, coffee is spelt slightly different uh, out in Singapore as well so thank you very much everyone for listening and um, feel free to get in touch with your Aberdeen Standard Investments contact sales contact uh, should you need any further information on anything that was discussed today and if you'd like to find out more about our fixed income views or products then please feel free to subscribe to our fixed income newsletter using the link below in the podcast description. I'd like to say thank you again to the guys for their thoughts today. Investment Insights by Aberdeen Standard Investments. This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is provided for information purposes only and should not be considered as an offer, investment recommendation or solicitation to deal in any of the investments or products mentioned herein and does not constitute investment research. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Aberdeen Standard Investments. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up and investors may get back less than the amount invested. Past performance is not a guide to future returns. Return projections are estimates and provide no guarantee of future results.